You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the MLB.com StatCast podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, joined here by MLB.com National Editor Matt Myers. On today's show, we're going to look at a couple of veteran hitters who might be turning it around, talk about why Max Scherzer is the best pitcher of the StatCast era, talk about the thing that Bryce Harper is actually getting better at, and then a couple of random facts about relievers you don't know, because relievers right now are so silly, and there's a couple of little-known names that I wanted to highlight. But first, last week, we had the Home Run Derby in Cleveland. I hope you watched the ESPN2 StatCast version of it, which I was on, which was super fun. And at MLB.com, we also ran a contest for people to kind of guess like who would win and who would get the longest distance. And we had the winner, and Matt wants to explain a little bit about what makes this guy interesting, which I'm definitely going to steal and use for next season. Matt, go ahead. Um, well, the winner was uh, or is uh, Hunter McCary from Olive Branch, Illinois. He won $250,000 in the Home Run Derby Bracket Challenge. Congrats. Um, yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, there were 700,000 entries, um, of course, because you know it's, it's not like the NCAA tournament. There's only eight contestants. A lot of people um, picked the bracket correctly, and then it was like you had to pick um, the – I think it was you had to, to pick the um, – Home run distant the 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 longest the home run of the longest night. home run of the night and the the total number of home runs that were hit right and he guessed the exact person who hit the longest home run and the distance um, forty eight but he actually which was Vlad Guerrero Jr. but he actually picked Alonzo to win and we wrote a story about him and he said I went against my gut instinct I thought Vlad Jr. was going to win to be honest but I compared the exit velocities and I figured Alonzo would have a little more to gain from it. He told Matt Kelly he looks at the exit velocity leaderboards every single day. Well, that's not healthy, first of all. <laughs> I mean, that's cool. But basically, he used StatCast to win $250,000. When I was on the show, I was trying to figure out, is there anything I can use to, you know, just differentiate these guys? Between, oh, yeah, they're all going to crush dingers, you know? And we are now five for five, five years of home run derbies uh, in the StatCast tracking era, where the guy of the eight contestants who enters the home run derby with the highest average exit velocity on his home runs in the first half, has made the finals every single year. And I am very excited to choose that guy to make the finals next year, and I'm going to make a big deal out of it, and then he's definitely not going to make it. <laughs> but that's cool. That's cool that you can actually put some thought into it. Because like, it's the home run derby. People are probably just like, oh, this guy, that guy. Here's a big sounding number. Um, I did find it interesting, by the way, the derby. Like, clearly, a million home runs were hit. Uh, there weren't in- insane distances. Like, 488. Was the longest, you know? That's it's long, certainly. Nobody well, hit I mean, five hundred. You know, Nobody ju- hit five ten. Like, Judge and Stanton kind of spoiled us a few years ago. That's why we got to get Gallo in it next year. Oh yes, that's all I've ever wanted: Gallo uh, and Fran Mil Reyes. Uh, there are actual baseball games being played. Um, there are a couple of veteran hitters who got off to slow slash injured slash disappointing starts, I guess you would say. And a couple of them have started to turn it around. And sometimes it's hard to tell what's small sample, what's good luck. So we've tried to dig into the data on this a little bit. The first one was actually a signing I liked a lot last winter, and it has just not worked out at all. Daniel Murphy, who signed to play first base for the Colorado Rockies. I think part of the reason that that signing doesn't look so good, in addition to the fact he hasn't performed that well, um, is that people view it as he's replacing DJ LeMahieu, who has been ridiculously unbelievable for the Yankees, and that's probably not fair. Murphy also got injured in like the third day of the season or whatever. Exactly. So, so there's that. Uh, but he is, if you look at his numbers now, 
uh, pretty decent. He's about a league average hitter. So he bottomed out on uh, June 22nd and went 0 for 5. He was, he was you know, 50 or so weighted runs created plus in the last month or almost month since June 22. He's hitting 393, 462, 643 in 65 plate appearances. Now I'm aware that Coors Field right now is like playing baseball on the surface of the sun, right? Uh, but it's not just about that. In July, he has cut his strikeout rate to 5% which is really good. He has cut it, uh, increased his walk rate to 13%. Here is my still concern, I guess, eighth percentile of hard hit rate, 27%. In his good years with Washington, that was up to like 42%. Um, I'm not sure he's healthy. He's still playing with the splint, but the production over the last month has been encouraging for a team that has had almost no production from first base and second base this year. Yeah, oddly, you know, with despite the fact that he's been on this surge recently, the the Rockies are really scuffling. They've lost nine of eleven. Yeah, they're kind of falling out of the race. You would think that Mur- Murphy's resurgence would sort of like get them on a roll, but it hasn't really worked out that way. It's it's the opposite of last year almost because last year we we're always oh you know the Rockies uh, their pitching's really good, but I don't know that their offense is actually any good. And this year the offense is been okay like Blackman's been good Story and Arenado David Dahl's been really good and the pitching's been a total disaster I mean Freeland's been in the minors for more than a month Marquez has been getting lit up lately the bullpen other than Scott Oberg who I like very much and could possibly be a trade candidate it's like the exact opposite of what we saw from that team a year ago yeah and then you look at the you know, West standings and it's kind of comical just how far I mean everyone knew the Dodgers would win that division but they're 15 games ahead of second place um and you know obviously that division is basically already done uh the other ones still have like a little bit something to play for um although none is close i guess the nl central is the only one that's cl- has closer than than five games right now but uh yeah the, it's been an unfortunate turn for the rockies but at least maybe murphy's giving them something and they have him again for at least one more year i'm gonna give it a solid meh i liked the signing a lot the production looks great now he's still not hitting the ball hard uh and that is worrisome but He's obviously going to be better, I think, going forward than he has been. At least for now, for the Rockies, you have to feel like a little bit better about the whole, yes. the Murphy signing specifically. Absolutely. Uh, Robinson Cano, so obviously a large and controversial trade last winter from Seattle to the Mets. I uh, wasn't sure I liked it at the time. I'm still not sure I like it very much now. But the one thing that did surprise me about this is I figured Cano would still hit, right? Say what you want about his defense, his age. Um, he always hits. He hit very well last year and didn't hit so much this year uh he, he right now is his line doesn't look great right 251 295 392 uh that is an 83 weighted runs created plus it's not what you want but since he came back from the injured list on june 16th it's been a lot better uh 318 on base 446 slugging and in july 364 on base 563 slugging it's really good Still 84th percentile hard hit. That's encouraging. Making more contact every single month. His strikeout rate has dropped from 20% to 20% to 16% to 9% so far in July. That's great. That's all of the things you want. And uh, it sounds like maybe some of his problems were injury related. He doesn't seem to want to say that, but it seems like it might be. Yeah, in in twice in late April. On April 21st, he got hit in the hand, had to leave a game. And then again a week later on April 28th, he had to... Um, he got hit in the hand again, had to leave a game. I think he actually missed a couple games. And I got hit in the hand again on yeah. May 13th. But if you look at, if you go to like a baseball savant player pages and you look at Robinson Cano, his rolling uh, uh, weighted on base, you know, they did, you're like rolling uh, 50, 50 plate appearances at a time. He peaked on April 27th. He was actually starting to get in a, in a groove. And it's like, you look at this graph and it's just like, it peaks on April 27th and it's just like, a straight drop. And it seems pretty clear. What do you think of the trade? As Mike said, like there was still a strong belief that Cano was still going to hit this year. Right. It seems pretty clear the um, the the hit by pitch affected him. And then even this weekend, he had a huge weekend in in Miami. 
he was hit hit two home runs. He had only hit one home run the previous like sixty days. Um, he had two home runs. He was four for five on Sunday, and he had a quote to uh, Thosar of the Daily News. He said, I've been hit twice, three times on the hand this year. That's not an excuse. I'm the kind of guy that even if it's bothering me, I would never say anything. My hands feel really good. I'm not saying it didn't feel good before, like I'm looking for excuses or anything, but it's not the same when you get hit uh, get hit by a pitch on your hands. So <laughs> shorter version of that is uh, everything is fine, except for here are all the reasons it hasn't been fine. Exactly. So um, there's not a ton of reasons for... Um, Mets fans be optimistic right now, but at least Cano showing he can still hit a little bit makes you feel a little bit better about where things are going. Um, he's looked sort of like the Cano they traded for uh, since coming back from the injured list. I'll buy this. I, I, like I said, I expected him to hit, maybe not for the entirety of the five years remaining on his contract, but certainly this year. Um, and we're seeing it over the last few weeks. And more importantly, there's a reason maybe why we hadn't been seeing it before. Exactly. That's what you, I always I like mean, to look at. That's one of the, you know, for the last few years of StatCast, we've been able to pinpoint... Um, Sometimes, not always, sometimes we're able to pinpoint hitter injuries by looking at things like expected weight on base and hard hit rate relative to when they, you know, there was one of, was it Henley Ramirez when he like hurt his shoulder a couple of years ago? Yeah, Carlos Correa. McCutcheon too, I think there was yep. one where you can really, where it's like, where it's so obvious that something is amiss. Um, and this seem, this appears to be one of those cases. Moving on to Yasiel Puig, who is... <laughs> destroying the league all of us like well, i honestly did not realize the extent to which yasiel week has been <laughs> demolishing the league he, well first of all he's on the reds which are maybe just the weirdest team in baseball right now um they're five games below 500 they're in fourth place in the nl central but they're outscoring their opponents by 46 runs and they're only three and a half games out in the wild card because their pitching has been really good and their offense has not which is exactly what we would have expected coming into the year that's a joke. It should have been exactly the opposite of that. And part of it is is Puig, who had been traded from the Dodgers in the offseason, uh, got off to such a really atrocious start. Through May 1st, he was in 184, 218, 340. Since the very next day, 300, 349, 590. Uh, that'll put him in the top 25 in Major League Baseball. That was since May 2nd. And since June 10th, Yasiel Puig has been the very best hitter in the major leagues, 388, 430, 806 with a 210 weighted runs created plus. That is from Chad Dodson on Twitter. That is more than a month. How, Puig has really been ripping it more than Mike Trout? Like, it's, it's, uh, yeah, I Trout, not, was, like, Trout, Trout was like third, Yuli Guriel is second. Um, wow. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, Puig has had, you know, obviously when he first broke into the league, whatever, six years ago now, he had that crazy streak where it was like, oh my God, this guy's the best player ever. And then he's had, he's been pretty. St- been pretty streaky where he's yeah. had like runs like this from time to time. We're like, okay, here's that guy again. And for the first time, it feels like in a couple of years, we're kind of seeing that guy again. Yeah, he's kind of fun because every time I look at uh, a batter's you know pitch usage that he's faced, it's always fewer fastballs, more breaking pitches. Because that is the trend across all Major League Baseball. Sinkers are dead. Here come sliders. Here come uh, change-ups. But it's not true for Puig. If you look at Puig's numbers, and you can make a chart like this on Baseball Savant, he is seeing more fastballs every single year. When he came up in 2013, he was seeing about 59% fastballs. Now he is up to about 70% fastballs. That is the exact opposite of everybody else in baseball. It's not terribly hard to see why. Last year, he had a 380 weighted on base against off-seed pitches, which is very good. 392 against breaking, which is great. And only 329 against fastballs. He's like the opposite of everybody else. Uh, if you look at the last three seasons and you look at everybody who had a minimum of 200 plate appearances ending on breaking balls, Mike Trout was the best, obviously, because of course he is. And then it's guys like Freeman, Bellinger, Altuve, etc. And then Yasiel Puig, eighth best against breaking pitches. Well, no wonder he's seeing more fastballs. 
But if you look at it so far, he has still been crushing the breaking pitches, and uh, he's not as aggressive. I think that first month with the Reds, he had like the third highest swing rate in baseball, uh, just going after everything. But it's it's still interesting because when you think of Puig, you think, okay, this guy is 99th percentile at everything, both good and bad, right? He's just like the most extreme dude. Uh, he's been average at hard hit this year, 52nd percent, and average on defense this year. That's above average because he makes some really nice looking plays, but he also you know eats some bloopers uh, a little bit. So I think well, I'm not buying him as the best hitter in baseball. Oh, you're not? That seems a little aggressive. Um I mean, I want to say he's a really interesting trade piece, but I also have no idea what the Reds are, are going to do right now. I don't. I don't think the Reds are going to sell. I think there's there's so much uncertainty amongst the wild card teams right now. They have like the you know amongst the wild card teams, they have the second best run differential of the team. They have a bet right now. If the, if the season ends today, the Nats would would host the wild card game, and the Phillies and Cardinals would play a playing game to face the Nats in the wild card game, right? That would be awesome. But then the Reds have a have a better run differential than all of Actually, the, the, the D-backs actually have a better run differential than the Reds at plus 50, but the Reds are plus 36. They have, you know, Luis Castillo, who's legitimately one of the best pitchers in baseball right now. Did you see that video from the All-Star game? There was like this this video inside the, I don't know, uh, inside the AL dugout of Bregman and Verlander talking when Castillo no. was pitching. And like the two of them were like, this guy's the best pitcher in really? baseball. They were like, I... I uh, throwing a hundred with a changeup that looks just like it. Bregman just like his eyes lit up. He was like, "This guy's this guy's bananas." Um, so I just don't think there's they don't have so much to sell that it's worth it for them to sell. They've already kind of gone all in on this year. That I kind of feel like they should just. I know there's like six teams between them and the Phillies and, and Cardinals, so I get I get that. But like if I'm them, I look at the Pirates and Giants who are currently like even or ahead of them with the standings, and I'm like, nope. Rockies probably nope. I think the D backs were actually the D backs actually might sell, um, so they're but, probably just going to kind of what? No, I think you're right, but I also think the D backs are the best position to go on a run. Like I, I don't know what to make of the NL right now. Like okay, the, the Marlins, you know, they're doing whatever they're going to do. Uh, the Giants are actually playing well. The Brewers are falling apart. The Phillies are falling apart. The Mets are done. Uh, the uh, the Rockies are falling apart. You know, the Padres are in their rebuilding mode, and then you've got the Diamondbacks who are interesting. The Nationals are suddenly red hot. The Cubs or Cardinals are sort of flailing about. I have no idea what to make of any of it right now. That, I just don't think the Reds are going to sell for that. It's because they don't even have that obvious piece to trade. The Giants are probably. I feel like Farhan Zaidi is probably like, "Oh my goodness, I wish we weren't winning." It'd be so much. You're easier, probably right. So much easier sure for me to make true. these trades right because now. they're going to keep winning, and then he's not going to trade. He's actually he probably still would do it. Yeah, because like you can still look at that team. But but the point is, the Reds are interesting. Puig's interesting too because he's a free agent this year, and right. there aren't a ton like free agency now. So when you guys have signed extensions, there aren't a lot of great players out there. Where he's going to be one of the more interesting outfielders, you know, Marcelo Zuna's a free agent, but he's also he's been hurt. He's having so who knows how he's going to come back. Like Puig might end up like coming in on like a nice platform of like, hey, I'm a free agent now. Uh, so much so that the Reds may even want to give him a qualifying offer if they keep him. All I've ever said is I want Puig and Bumgarner to be traded to the same team because I live for chaos. Uh, the final guy I want to talk about is Jose Ramirez of Cleveland. Let's break out some super arbitrary endpoints between August 15th of last season and June 12th of this season. He had 458 plate appearances. That is almost a full season. 186, 299, 291. Uh, that is a 58 weighted runs created plus. Only two qualifiers were worse than that time, Rugi Odor and Brandon Crawford. Uh, I think everybody who has followed baseball has realized that Jose Ramirez kind of collapsed for like a full year, and there was never a great reason why, right? Since June 13th, 300, 356, 544. Uh, that's pretty good. That's a, a 361 expected weighted on base, 
which is uh, top 40 in baseball. That's really good. Uh, I'm not sure I'm buying him as being back. And part of the reason is I also looked at the uh, rolling expected weighted on base charts, as you did. Um, His peak this year was on June 24th, and that peak was at 407. 407 is outstanding. That's really good. Uh, But it's down since then. So I I already wonder if we've kind of seen the peak of the hot streak. Uh, He also had peaked at 427 in late April, and we saw what happened after that. And when you look at his previous two years, his 2018 peak was up in the 470s, and his 2017 peak was up at 535. It's good. It's it's a bounce back, but I'm not sure I'm seeing uh, the same guy. His hard hit rate is still like 20th percentile. That's scary to me. It's if you're if you're a Cleveland fan or in the Cleveland front office or a Cleveland player, you're you're happy, but there's there's still a little bit of a it doesn't feel quite real. The Indians are 52 and 40. They've been playing very well. Uh, six out in the American League Central, and they are tied with uh, Oakland for the second wild card spot. That's fun. The AL wild card is actually kind of interesting right now. You've got the Rays, who are two games clear of the Indians and A's, who are tied. And then you've got the Red Sox, two games behind them. And the Rangers three games, and the Rangers just a game behind Boston. So it seemed like the AL was kind of kind of sorted itself out pretty early, but that's not the case right now. I know most baseball observers are are looking for I don't know Boston and Cleveland maybe. I would really enjoy Tampa Bay, Oakland. I know nobody else on the du- base- dueling, dueling openers in the wild. Yeah, <laughs> no, uh, that's selfish a little bit because I'm pretty sure I will, I will be there for like a Statcast broadcast of it. Um, that game would be super fun. I know we're getting way ahead of ourselves here, uh, but it's possible at least. I I, I think Cleveland's playing well. Um, I still don't think they're going to trade Trevor Bauer, but they could do something weird like buy and sell at the same time. Um, I think they're going to trade Bauer. I think they're going to trade Bauer and. I think they're going to try and buy and sell at the same time because I don't think there's any chance Bowers on their team next year. I agree, and I think he has a lot more trade value now. So I think they're going to figure out a way. It's if there's any, if there's any confidence that Kluber is going to come back and be quote unquote healthy and or Carrasco for that matter, they're definitely trading Bauer. I don't know I how think. you can have that confidence in the next two weeks though. They could, the thing is they could also trade they could also trade Bauer and get a pitcher back or go trade for another pitcher elsewhere. I think they're trading Bauer. All right, I I don't think they are. Uh, but maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, we'll see. Max Scherzer is on the injured list right now. All right, but he might come back. He might come back and start on Saturday against the Braves. That's when he's eligible to return. And I don't know if we've actually spent enough time talking about how great he is. Like, of course he's great. He's won three Cy Young Awards. Everybody knows how great Max Scherzer is. But he is on a run, uh, sort of unlike one I've seen in a while. And it's a st- it's still an active run for when he returns. Let me drop some stats on you here. He, in his last nine starts... 94 strikeouts and nine walks, six earned runs in 64 innings as a .84 ERA. Uh, even for a guy who is clearly going to Cooperstown, that's a pretty incredible run. The last six of those starts, he had uh, 10 or more strikeouts and two or fewer earned runs. That's pretty rare. There are only six times in baseball history where somebody has done better than that, and the names are impressive. Pedro Martinez did it twice. Randy Johnson did it twice. Nolan Ryan did it once. Also, Max Scherzer did it once. <laughs> so Scherzer's done five in a row. He had previously done it six times in a row in 2017. The record is Pedro Martinez, who did it nine times across 1999-2000. I understand more strikeouts. You can't compare this to 1942 or whatever. I totally get it. Uh, that is pure domination. He turns 35 this month. <laughs> He's so good, and we never talk about it enough. Well, his June specifically, you know, Jamal Collier, our national beat reporter, did a story about this when... Uh, on July 1, basically making the case that he 
had maybe the best June ever. He, this, this is what he wrote. He said, he finished the month 6-0 and with a 1.00 ERA and 68 strikeouts. Remember, this includes a start that came one day after he fouled the ball off his right, face, right, giving a black eye and a broken nose. Scherzer is only the fourth pitcher in the live ball era since 1920 with an ERA of 1.00 or lower and 68-plus strikeouts in a month. The others were Pedro Martinez in September-October 1999, Roger Clemens in August 1998, Randy Johnson in June 1997. So that's the company he's in. I don't notice how they all happen within like a year, yeah, two years of each other. But um, it's a pretty, it's a pretty, pretty amazing run he's going on. But but you're right. Like this is obviously the kind of show where we're always going to focus on the numbers. But I will always make room for the mystique of a guy breaking his own nose and then coming out the next day and just shoving. It's with, super with, cool with a huge black eye. It was pretty. And, and the most recent one of those starts, by the way, came in those sweet Montreal Expos throwbacks. I feel like extra credit. Needs to be given. Credit. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's pretty. I mean, I guess they I guess they could still line up to um, to well Braves this weekend. If you, they, if exactly, you yeah, they can make a they can line. They need they kind of need to, to. I think it's a four game series. It starts. Uh, it sounds right, but I don't know. Um, if they win three or four, I could you know it certainly or, or sweep. Of course, it really gets gets them into the uh, get them gets them into the mix. Right now, they're seven and a half back. Um, although. Uh, only quote unquote only six in the loss column. Uh, Scherzer, by the way, now we're like we said five years into the Statcast tracking era. 188 starting pitchers have faced a thousand batters uh, in the last five years, and if you look at expected weighted on base, he is number one in that time, 254, just ahead of Kershaw, Syndergaard. I was kind of surprised to see Syndergaard number three there. Uh, Chris Sale and Jacob Degrom. He is second in actual weighted on base. He has been just elite in pretty much all the ways you can think of. And again, he's almost 35. His fastball has not declined at all. He is throwing 94.9 miles an hour on his fastball. That's up from 93.4 in 2014. It's up. Uh, his spin is still in the 92nd percentile. If you look at all the starters who've thrown 2,500 fastballs in the last five years, only Justin Verlander has a higher spin rate. Hey, imagine if you had a starting rotation with both of those guys and, I don't know, Rick Porcello and David Price. That would be something to see. Uh, he is, uh, he's got three Cy Youngs. He's got five, uh, six straight top five finishes, and we just ran our MLB.com Cy Young poll, uh, which I voted in, as, as did many of our other writers. He finished first in it, 26 of 38 first place votes. Hyunjin Ryu got 11, and Luis Castillo got one, which I was a little surprised to see. It um it was the first the, the I think Ryu had finished first the last two times we'd done it, and this is the first time that uh, Scherzer had uh, overtaken him. And I, I I can't say it was the uh, the wrong the wrong choice. No, I, and really, it's like there are not enough great things to say about the run he is on. Like you, you keep thinking that eventually age is going to catch up, velocity. Like you see Kershaw, right? He's still very good, but the velocity is not there. The dominance isn't quite there. Uh, Scherzer is the exact opposite. And as you said, the Nationals, who I think everybody had pretty much left for dead like two months ago, like the, everybody thought Dave Martinez was on like a day-to-day hold on his job. Um, they've been fantastic. They got swept by the Mets two months ago. This is when I really thought Martinez was toast. Uh, May 20th to May 23rd, they got swept by the Mets in a four-game series. And they, like with a bunch of ridiculous, like it was like, it was, it was, it was the one where like Roger Davis showed Showed up in an Uber and like hit a home run. Yeah, right. And Carlos oh, Gomez hit a home run. <laughs> oh, right. I was at one of those games. Yeah. yeah that's it was right. like a bunch of, it wasn't just losses. It was like it was, ridiculous. Oh, losses. oh, yeah. There was, it was awful. Uh, and because what was at the time, uh, historically bad bullpen. And there were also injuries, right? Like Trey Turner had been injured and they had some injuries in the outfield. Uh, after that sweep, they bottomed out at 19 and 31. If you looked at fan graphs at the time, they had 22% odds to make the playoffs. Since that sweep, 
They are 30 and 12. It is the best record in baseball uh, over almost two full months. They now have 83% odds to make the playoffs. Uh, that is a pretty huge turnaround. And, you know, part of it is uh, is the outfield play. The Nationals have the highest outs above average uh, in baseball, and that's mostly because of Victor Robles, who is tied with Kevin Kiermeyer for the second most outs above average. He still has a first percentile exit velocity. Going back to this, we talked to this in the offseason. I'm still not so sure about his bat, uh, but his speed plays and his defense plays, and I still can't believe that they have the best record in baseball over the last 42 games. That outfield defense is like, it's, it, I mean, he's the, he's the key component. He's like tied for second uh, in outs above average, but he, um, the Nats as a team have 17 outs above average in the outfield, um, which is by far the best in baseball. The Rays are second at, at 10 outs above average. And last year, the Nats were minus 16 for the year. So they're basically 30 outs better um, than they were last year. We're only like in, we're, you know, we're, we're, we haven't hit, hit August yet. Hey, who was playing in the outfield for the Nats last year? You sound like a professional podcaster. <laughs> um, I don't know, Bryce Harper? Hey, Bryce Harper. Uh, I thought it was a, it was time to look back at Bryce Harper's defense. We and everybody else spent so much time last winter talking about how lousy his defense had been and how that might affect his contract and all of it. And it was one of those situations where, you know, I wasn't quite sure he was the worst outfielder of all time, but that's sort of what the metrics had said. Last year, minus 26 defensive runs saved, minus 14 UZR, and minus 13 outs above average. Everybody pretty much agreed he was a very poor outfielder. And as you may remember, we dedicated like an entire show and I wrote a whole article to trying to figure out you know, what was it? Had he lost skill? Uh, was it bad luck? And, you know, it seemed like there was just a couple of plays where it hit him right in the glove and he couldn't get it. And a couple of plays where he was close to the wall and it just didn't seem to want to go for it. Uh, anyway, we are now halfway through the season and, you know, hasn't quite gone as expected, I don't think, for, for Harper the Phillies, although he's still been an above average hitter. But I wanted to know, was there any change in his defense? And the answer is yes, in, in a very positive way. So far this year, he has gone from minus 13 outs above average last year to plus one, minus 26 defensive runs saved to plus two. He's not a gold glover, certainly, uh, but he is not, you know, the disaster it looked like that. There's been perfectly good, slightly above average. And I was curious as to why. And here's what some of the data is on that. Uh, for one thing, and I thought this was really fascinating, he's gotten a lot faster, right? So we calculate sprint speed in terms of feet per second. The league average is 27 and elite is 30. Um, he has gotten a little bit faster, uh, a lot faster over the, over the last year. In 2018, his sprint speed was 27.5 feet per second. So that's about 60th percentile, very similar to what it had been over the previous three years. This year, he's up to 28.2 feet per second, 82nd percentile. So there's only about 20% of qualified guys who are faster than he is. And if you look at everybody who has 75 tracked runs this year and last year, only Jay Bruce added more, and we talked about him because he had a whole bunch of leg injuries last year. I don't know that I remember Harper having leg injuries last year, so I can't explain why. Um, but if you see a guy who's faster and his defensive metrics look better, that doesn't seem unrelated to me. Yeah, the, the, there was the there was the the thought that maybe it was his contract year and that he was maybe not going all out out of fear of hurting himself either on the base paths or you know in the field going up against the wall because you in the, early in his career he had hurt himself many times. Yeah, it was kind of. It was funny because he had this reputation for being a hot dog, but he was a guy who also ran out everything and hurt himself regularly, like trying to run as fast as he can to like beat out infield it's singles. Like an off-brand Aaron Rowan. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, the other thing I thought was cool is that he's getting better jumps, and so we we introduced uh, jumps as a metric a few weeks ago, and it's basically how many feet above average or below average did you run in the first three seconds? So we're trying to measure what do you do before you even get to top speed. In 2017, he was three and a half feet below average. That was third worst in baseball, ahead of only Dexter. Fowler and Matt Kemp 
who just got released by the Syracuse Mets. Is that it for Matt Kemp? Feels like it might be. I don't think I knew he was there. <laughs> you mean 2018 NL All-Star starter Matt Kemp? <laughs> yes. From there to cut by a AAA team. Uh, and I felt bad when I tweeted that. People said, oh, you mean the Mets? I said, no, actually the AAA Syracuse Mets. Uh, but that's where Bryce Harper was in 2017. Last year, two feet below average, uh, bottom 20. And if you think that's not a uh, big deal, it is. I mean, the guys who are at the top are like, you know, plus three or four feet, you know, so the, the gap there, six feet, that's huge if you're trying to catch a, foul ball, uh, a fly ball. Uh, so he went from third worst to bottom 20 to this year. He's only a half foot below average, basically right there, 53rd out of 106 qualifiers. Uh, so it seems like he's getting faster at his top speed. That's what the sprint speed is saying. And he's getting faster at getting to the top speed. That's all really good. You know, again, I couldn't tell you why health, you know, motivation to please the new crowd. I, I don't know. Um, but what's cool is it's it's not about his uh, reactions necessarily. That's unchanged when you look at how far he's gone in the first one and a half seconds. But it is about the, the burst, what we're kind of uh, terming the acceleration, essentially. Uh, so he doesn't get moving any more quickly. But once he does, he gets up to his top speed a lot more quickly. That's cool. And that all kind of correlates with me to a guy who's playing better defense. Uh, and the numbers bear that out. So I know that he's not crushing the ball like Philly fans want him to be. But the defense has been there. And that's a big deal for a team that had really lousy defense last year. Yeah, this year, in terms of uh, outs above average, let's see, last year they ranked uh, 29th at minus 20. So, you know. Yeah, Reese Hoskins in the outfield was not likely to work. And this year they are... 11th yeah just a little slightly above average i know his line you know a 116 wrc plus so 16 percent above average is not what people wanted uh we did a deep dive on what was going on with him a couple weeks ago what is interesting he's striking out less every single month 30 percent to 21 percent to 18 percent now but along with that is a decline in slugging percentage i assume i would rather have more strikeouts if he was going to pound the ball harder i don't know if that's correlated but seems to me like it probably is in some way i mean there was the risk that this was just you know like He's been much closer to this over the last few years than he has been to the 197 weighted runs created plus in 2015. And 2015 is a long time ago at this point. I know there's like, obviously he's still young enough that there's belief that he could recapture that. And it would not shock me if he had another year or two like that in his career. But right now, the evidence points much closer to him being like a 120-130 WRC plus guy than a 160-170. Right. And that's, that's not the superstar you want, but that's still plenty valuable especially if he's pairing it with a little bit improved defense for sure i wanted to close here by uh just spouting some stuff at you about random relievers think about like the colin poche like we can't do whole segments on these guys but there's just so many interesting dudes that i find random stuff on that i want you all to know about um well let, let, let's hear it because these these guys mike are even sort of random to me oh i see that's that's great i i have five guys here that i just have come across cool random things uh, because like who needs to know anymore about Kirby Yates everybody knows about Kirby Yates uh, the first guy yes everybody knows about Kirby everybody Yates. who listens to this show or plays fantasy baseball or is interested in the trade deadline knows about Kirby Yates fair um, five quick guys here Emilio Pagan who I'm pretty sure I talked up huge two years ago when he got traded from Seattle to Oakland for Ryan Healy yes and this is when I was like oh the, the Oakland bullpen's gonna be great and they had a very good year, but he actually wasn't that great. He got traded to Tampa Bay, and he has been phenomenal. Uh, if you look at every reliever who had uh, 100 plate appearances against or has faced 100 plate appearances, there are 215. His 221 expected weight on base is second to Kirby Yates, there you go. who has been great. He's been, by this measure, uh, the second best reliever in baseball. That's really cool. A big part of it is that Tampa Bay has helped him really harness his rising fastball. He's got 96th percentile four-seam spin. 
he gets an extra three inches of rise over other average fastballs at his velocity and release. That's ninth best. He has the best expected weighted on base of four-seam fastballs among relief pitchers. Emilio Pagan, finally living up to my weighty expectations two years and one team after the fact. It's about time. Uh, Austin Adams, the Seattle Austin Adams, not the one who just got cut by Detroit. Um, I hadn't realized this. Austin Adams, who has been phenomenal for the Mariners, is actually traded by the Washington Nationals on May 4th in the depths of having the worst bullpen you've ever seen. They traded him to Seattle for not much of anything at all. Uh, 43 strikeouts in 24 and a third innings. 44% strikeout rate is second only to Josh Hader. Uh, I know he's on the IL with a bit of a shoulder strain right now, but here's going to be a recurring theme here. Austin's that is, not Hader. Uh, yes, Austin Adams. Uh, 62% slider usage. This is what relief pitching is right now. Uh, it's a very good slider. It's got the fourth best expected weighted at base. The other guy, and this, is, this third guy is really the one that kind of like kicked me off on this whole thing because I just couldn't believe it. JT Chargua, Chargua, I think it's Chargua. We're going to go with that, of the Dodgers. Uh, former Twins prospect, got picked up by the Dodgers last year. It's been kind of up and down with the minors and the majors. Uh, since his June 20th recall, 49% strikeout rate. I know he's only faced 33 batters, but you still have to strike out half of them. 49%. Um, this is going to shock you. He's using his slider two-thirds no, of the time. Come on. I know. Uh, 15 of the 16 strikeouts have come on it. Last year, he had one of the uh, the best drops on his slider in terms of vertical drop, five inches above average. That was uh, top 30 in baseball. JT Chagua. I feel like we've talked about him before, maybe just because of his name. Chris Martin. Have we talked about Chris Martin? Do you the know Coldplay, what te- the Coldplay guy? Sure. Do you know what team Chris Martin is on? The Rangers. That I know. It is on the Rangers. Uh, he's actually an interesting guy. He'd been on the Rockies. He. Uh, we've talked a lot about random 2015-ish Yankee relievers who didn't amount to anything in New York and then went somewhere else and were awesome. Kirby Yates being one of those guys. He was one of those Yankees guys, Yankees are too. so good at, like amassing random relievers they don't know what to do with them They've, they don't have enough spot for them on their 40-man roster right so he went to japan for two years uh came back last year went to texas he has 40 strikeouts and three walks okay that's pretty impressive since may 3rd 30 strikeouts zero walks that is a run for a guy nobody's paying attention to i'm gonna look into what the record is i'm gonna get our crack research team figuring out the um, record is for most strikeouts in a row without I, a walk i think i know this because either last year or the year before didn't kenley jansen start off with like 50 strikeouts in a row we're gonna get to, we're gonna get to the bottom we're gonna get to the bottom of this uh anyway i thought that was his is mostly about his fastball and the final name here uh what great name aaron bummer of the Chicago White Sox, he has the third highest ground ball rate, 66% of any reliever who's thrown 30 innings. Unsurprisingly, his sinker gets an incredible amount of drop. This, these numbers are all from the Baseball Savant Pitch Movement leaderboards. Uh, he gets an extra six and a half inches of drop on his slider uh, sinker, which is 32% above average, top 10. He is one of the 25 best relievers in baseball so far this year by expected weight on a base. Now you know something about Emilio Pagan, Austin Adams, JT Chagua, Chris Martin, and Aaron Bummer, names I definitely did not make up. And while uh, this is a, a while you just gave us a list of five random relievers, this is a good good segue to finish the show to talk about the greatest relief pitcher in baseball history, uh, Mariano Rivera. Now, what does that have to do with any of these guys? Great question. Let me tell you. <laughs> uh, well, of course, Rivera is going into the Hall of Fame this weekend. Is going to be inducted on Sunday. He is the first player ever to be unanimously inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame by the Baseball Writers Association of America. And sort of in honor of that, uh, we put together for um, uh, Mark Feinstein, our reporter, put together um, 
a long form podcast, a four part miniseries. Um, it's on our full account stream, which is like our long form uh, podcast stream. We talked about about a month ago. We did something on the 2009 draft. Now we did four episodes about kind of the the rise of uh, Mariano Rivera uh, through throughout the Yankees farm system. It's mostly about like before he became famous. So it's it's a lot of stuff. You know, I'm not I'm wasn't like a huge Yankee fan by any means, but the stuff that I did not know, and I don't think Yankee fans will know. So there's four episodes. Um, I just finished them today. I learned a lot. For example. Um, for his first workout with the Yankees in Panama when he was 20 years he didn't sign until he was 20 years old so he basically started when he was behind the eight ball um, went to work out he didn't have shoes or a glove his friend was supposed to bring his shoes and his gloves didn't show up so he had to borrow someone else's shoes and his gloves he threw nine pitches and got signed on the spot um, episode two talks about kind of like his time in the minors did you know in the Gulf Coast League Mariano Rivera his first year had a .17 ERA in 50 innings this would have been before he learned his cutter? This is all before he learned his cutter. I didn't know. I didn't know that. <laughs> um, and then he, he got good in 1995. He actually, you know, he pitched in the um, the ALDS against the Mariners that year when they lost in the, um, you know, coincidentally was the, the series where Edgar Martinez hit the walk-off double in game five. Martinez going into the Hall of Fame with Rivera um, this weekend. The following spring, spring of 1996, the Yankees, Steinbrenner wanted to trade Mariano Rivera to the Mariners for Felix Fermin and had to be talked out of it. <laughs> Imagine, talk about a baseball what if, if Rivera had been traded to the Mariners for Felix Fermin. I, I love that it would have been to the Mariners because it's like, you know what? Ken Phelps for Jay Buhner wasn't enough. Let's double down. <laughs> um, and then episode three talks about how we basically discovered his cutter by accident that one day he was basically playing catch with Ramiro Mendoza. And Ramiro Mendoza was like, I can't play catch with it anymore. I don't know where the ball's going. You have no control over this. And Rivera basically just was like, I'm throwing it the way I've always thrown it. And suddenly just like the ball was cutting. And so basically, 96, he got he finished third in the Cy Young voting. He didn't have his cutter. 96, he was a fastball slider guy. He threw 100 innings, finished third in the Cy Young voting. His highest war season ever happened in 1996. Then he discovers the cutter. And That's not fair. It was on a 20-year run. Um, and the number four kind of does take a little bit about sort of like his Yankee career and the glory years. One fun fact I learned, the Yankees – decided to give him closer music after the 98 World Series because they were like, oh, wow, the Padres fans really respond to Hell's Bells yeah. and Trevor, Trevor Hoffman. We should do that, too. So they workshopped a few songs the following spring, including Paradise City by Guns <laughs> N' Roses. It didn't stick. Of course, Enter Sandman made all sorts of perfect sense Yeah, um, for a variety of reasons. I, that became like the legendary song, which Rivera admits on the podcast that he does not like. He doesn't like it. No. Oh, so that, that is actually funny. So you said they workshopped some other songs. I would be interested in knowing what other <laughs> late 80s, early 90s, like hair metal bangers <laughs> they tried. Like, did we get into Poison? Was there a winger? You know, was it I, Skid we, Row? Like, we, have to do, we have to do a follow-up. I, I'm very well, into knowing this. And because this, you know, podcast is about stats, obviously we did not have StatCast in 1998, but I did discover something fascinating when looking back at um, Mariano Rivera's Fangraphs page, just to sort of really hammers home how much the game has changed in the last 20 years. So in 1998, the famous Yankees season, they won 114 games in the World in the World Series. Rivera, dominant closer. He had a strikeout rate of 14.6%. For context, if you put that number in this year's qualified relievers, it would rank 165th out of 169 qualified relievers, ahead of only Victor Alcantara, Blaine Hardy, and TJ McFarlane. Are you suggesting TJ McFarlane won't be a Hall of Famer? <laughs> it's just, it's just, it really just hammers home how much the game has changed. Changed for context, Josh Hader leads relievers this year with a K rate of 
50.3%. He is striking out more than 50% of batters than he faces. Of course, when he doesn't strike people out, he gives up home runs. Right. I think he's given up 17. As of Friday night, he'd given up 17 hits this year, nine of which were home runs. As, as I remember, 100th percentile of strikeout rate, first percentile of hard hit rate. That's a uh, topic unto itself. Yeah. Incidentally, Re- Revere's career high in strikeout rate was 30.6% in 1996. Again, this was before he discovered the cutter. Um he was he ranked fifth that year behind Troy Percival, Trevor Hoffman, Billy Wagner, and Mark Wolers. Billy Wagner, who should be a Hall of Famer. How can you find the podcast? Anyway, your- um, well, you go to um, anywhere you get. The, it's on the Full Account Podcast. Anywhere you get your podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. Um, full account with an A, right? Full, full account. Full account. You can also go to mlb.com slash podcast. If you want to download it, you can find it there. Um, highly recommended, especially if you're a Yankee fan who's making the trip up to Cooperstown this weekend. I cannot imagine a better um, two hours in the car than listening to this podcast to get you psyched for Mario Rivera's uh, Hall of Fame induction. My cousin Raymond is an enormous Yankees fan, and he is going up to Cooperstown to witness this, and I'm definitely going to send that to him for the write-up. That's cool. So make sure you check that out, the full account podcast from Mark Feinstein. That is our podcast for the week, the MLB.com. Statcast podcast. We'll catch you next week.